0: Today, the people from Faith and Reason meet the people from Reasonable Doubts. We'll ask them why they don't believe in God. They'll ask us why we do believe in God. And probably the best answer is either uh, God only knows or goodness knows. This is Faith and Reason. Good morning. Welcome to Faith and Reason. I'm Bill Freeman, pastor of the Journey Church in Holland, along with Fred Wooden, senior minister of Fountain Street Church in Grand Rapids, and Reverend Andy DeBraber, the uh, minister at Douglas Community Douglas Congregational Church um, in Douglas. And we are meeting with the folks from Reasonable Doubt this morning, or Reasonable Doubts, because they have more than one, I guess. That's um, right. <laughs> Dave Fletcher, hello, Dave. Good morning, Jeremy Bean. Hello, and
1: Luke Galen. Hi, Doctor uh, Professor Luke Galen. Okay, we yeah, like well, 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 we
0: need to find out first of all who you guys are, because you know that we're pastors. So, uh, Dave, and we, we know you're a, a TV star. <laughs> oh
1: God, no. Um, yeah, um, I'm. I'm actually a, a radio guy. Uh, I work here. Um, I, I'm also a pastor. I don't know if you guys know this. Oh, really? I, I perform weddings. The Church of um, What's Happening Now? Or? Uh, no, the Universal Life Church of Modesto, California. Oh, uh, cool. So
0: you paid like 50 bucks for you. No, it's free. You just uh, need a name and an
1: email address. Um, wow. So, uh, Why didn't I do that? Yeah. I, I, <laughs> See? So That's much a easier seminary. than seminary. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm also a, a professor. So I teach mythology and assorted other classes.
0: Oh, cool. And Jeremy,
2: I'm Jeremy Bien. Uh, I I work uh, on reasonable doubts, of course, and uh, I'm also an instructor at Kendall College, and I teach subjects like philosophy, world religions, critical thinking, aesthetics, a bunch of different stuff. Um, so, do
0: you guys all have PhDs? Is that no, no, mean? no. Okay. He has a PhD. Yeah. That's okay. why he's
2: Doctor Professor Luke Galen. So, let <laughs> yes. you know, him
3: it was free. it wasn't free though i didn't have the Avengers dave and you have did, to pay yours
2: online
0: yeah get it online <laughs> right
3: no uh, yeah so i'm a i'm an associate professor of psychology at grand valley state university and my uh, so my degree is in clinical psychology but uh, i also teach um, a course on psychology of religion and other areas of psychology
0: Well, fred wooden is a
3: doctor
4: too right yeah Okay. Yeah, that's right. I uh, did master's work at the University of Chicago and got a doctor of ministry degree with a dissertation on uh, the history of American uh, Protestant worship practices 30 years ago.
0: Cool. I've forgotten it all. Yeah, neat. But I get to keep the title. Is that cool? I think so. And Andy and I are just ministers.
5: That's right. Yeah. We didn't
0: didn't mail away for our We didn't, nor
5: nor do we assume that because we have a master's of divinity that we have some mastery over divinity (laughs) or of it.
0: (laughs) All right, well, let's get at it. Um, Okay, you guys do reasonable doubts. The reason I wanted to do this show basically was because, you know, every Friday when I drive in to do this show, I listen to you guys. And -hmm. and basically, you know, to, to put it in a nutshell... What you guys say is basically you have to be an idiot to believe in God. And then it's like, okay, here are Freeman, Wooden, and, De Braber, and uh, uh In other words, th- here, and here are three idiots. Yeah, here they are.
2: I, I think that's a mischaracterization of our show. <laughs> I think that's uh, okay. really a fairly gross yeah. mischaracterization. Okay, gross. sorry. Yeah, um, the, the claim that religious people or believers are idiots is, is not something any one of us would make. First of all, at least speaking from my own background, my parents are religious believers. A lot of my friends, a lot of my mentors at college all are religious believers. I went to a Christian college and a Christian university. Um, so the idea that somehow religious believers are idiots is something that uh, I, would, uh, I would combat that as fervently uh, – that notion as fervently as I would a lot of dogmatic issues. Okay, um,
0: forgive me for my over characters oversimplification and attempted humor.
2: Well, oh, well, you know, humor humor <laughs> aside, yes, it was an attempt. <laughs> but uh, it is it is one of those perceptions that's out there of a lot of atheists that they are all angry atheists that they all have an axe to grind with religion and and don't put any validity. Uh, to uh, religious modes of expression and that sort of thing. And that's part of what we do try to uh, – we make a point of countering that on reasonable doubts. We try to say, hey, look, what we're discussing about is the rationality of the arguments for or against uh, the existence of God. And so we try to focus on arguments, not necessarily people. Uh, we try to keep it civil and keep all the name-calling uh, down to an absolute minimum.
1: Except when it's between the three of us. That's true. We appreciate that.
2: I mean we do joke around about some religious uh, figures uh, out there in the media and the news uh, who sometimes I think deserve ridicule. But right. even the Bible holds ministers to a higher standard, right? It says uh, those who teach the gospel are going to be you know, judged. Uh, by the knowledge that they have. And so so we feel we're in keeping even with biblical principles doing that, oddly enough.
0: Okay. Well, before we go any further, I should say we invite your calls at 616-656-1680, 616-656-1680 here at Public Reality Radio WPRR. So we'd love to have you call and be part of the discussion.
1: Um, yeah, and uh, I'd just like to add, as, as the person who usually takes the calls, um, being in the studio here, you won't uh, you won't have anyone answering the calls um, and, and greeting you all warm and friendly. If you so, get it, yeah. Um, pick up the call. We'll put you on hold. You'll listen to the show, and uh, we'll bring you in when we can. Um, right. So, so and, don't and if, make if a we miss and, the call, then please call back. Right, and don't, don't make
0: a mistake and call your – doctor to set up an appointment and
6: and start reaming him out about religion or not.
0: (laughs) Um, Luke. Dr. Luke. um, Okay, so I'm assuming you guys are all atheists, correct? Yes. Okay. Um, Why? Um, Lack of evidence. I mean, all
3: three of us used to be religious at some point in time, and judging from what I know about the other gentleman, fairly highly religious, and I think that we all took it very seriously, perhaps even more so than a lot of our peers at the time. And I think for, as for me, that's one of the reasons why uh, I kind of had a long d de- you know, kind of apostatization was I took, I read about it. I looked at as much as I could information and eventually that that information, the new information was corrosive. Of belief, in regards to what you said about before about like an intelligence or a thing that has i don 't think it had anything to do with uh, that it was just that people i think some people have said in our movement that people are um, are use their intelligence to um, actually come up with reasons that are emotionally based and so if you emotionally based if you if you are, have a motivation to have faith or lack of faith, that you can pretty much corral a lot of reasons for that. But I think, me personally, the it was lack of evidence.
2: Okay, Jeremy. Um, yeah, similar. Adding adding to what Luke said, um, uh, Bacon, the philosopher uh, Francis Bacon made a, a mm, comment. I can I know.
1: I'm a vegetarian. So that's <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah. what, what right do you
2: have?
4: So that would be Francis Tofu. <laughs> to <you. That's> right.
2: <laughs> which doesn't have the same ring to it. Um, but uh, Francis Bacon, and I, I can only paraphrase, but he made this quote about uh, you know, there's, there's a difference between genius and method. And genius is like the speed at which you, you walk. Um, method determines the direction in which you go. So if you have genius without method – You're only going to get away more impressively and faster away from the truth. And I I think that's kind of my attitude towards the whole intelligence uh, and and faith thing is I think there are many people uh, who are religious believers who are quite brilliant, very intelligent people. I just disagree with the method often that they use to acquire truth. And and I came to that uh, during my time in church. I I think I had some doubts as a young child uh, and, and all throughout my adolescence. I went to Bible college I think because of great faith, believing that I didn't want to just superficially answer these doubts. I wanted real answers and I believed that as long as I had the faith and the endurance to study the scriptures, that I would discover the answers to a lot of those those criticisms that had come up in my mind. My uh, time training to be a minister, that's why I went to Bible college, um, showed me otherwise. and. Um, and so I call myself an atheist today, meaning that I, I uh, lack a belief in God. Okay. Not necessarily I think I can prove God doesn't exist. I think it's impossible to prove a negative. So.
0: Hmm. Right? Mm-hmm.
4: No, no. I was just saying it was – what I'm hearing are, vari- are three different varieties. One is non-theism. You're just indifferent to the question that God is irrelevant to your particular point of view. One is anti-theism, which is the stuff that gets over the headlines all the time. Someone smacking people for being idiots, as you were saying, Bill, uh, and that's an, that, and that's a, and then there is atheism, which is a, itself a faith statement. There is no God, which is as unprovable as you just pointed out as there is a God. And I think that's incumbent upon those of us who keep the question open or answer affirmatively to say, we're all just guessing here.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily would see it as a faith statement, but I do certainly see it as one of those things that I I believe that I cannot prove. Mm -hmm. That by Um,
4: by definition is a faith statement, even if it isn't a substantial one.
2: I don't think it is though because there are all sorts of situations um, where we believe things where we cannot prove, but we do because uh, on the balance of evidence, they they seem to be the most reasonable option. If we had to base our beliefs just on those things we could prove 100 percent, we'd be stuck with things like math. Oh, I understand. Uh, and I'm and agreeing with that's you. That's not enough, especially for people like me who uh, are not good at math.
4: Well, was it, wasn't it Rene Descartes, uh, a man of some intelligence, I think. Uh,
2: yeah, I think uh, he who said, who said
4: it. Who said at one point, uh, the heart has reason, which reason doesn't understand. A very crude way of saying that we're not perfectly unified in our own beings. We have feelings and longings and thoughts and doubts. And uh, altogether, we – We put together an amalgamation that feels holistic to any one of us individually, and then we test that against the environment around us. Uh, um, There are a number of patterns, including theistic patterns and non-theistic patterns, but they're all rational processes, some more scrupulous than others, some more empirical than others. So when I'm saying that you're making a faith statement, it doesn't mean it's not based on evidence. I'm saying that it also brings a certain emotive and personal point of view that expresses who you are in the midst of that evidence really?
2: yeah I, I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree with that I, I think the reason why I um, you know where I'm going to come down on faith is going to be really dependent on what, what we define faith as
4: Ah, maybe that's a great
3: and, thing to uh, talk well, about uh, yeah. before
0: we do that let's uh, miraculously or or just coincidentally or whatever we have a call we do have and a call. And so we're going to go to that call. So if you're, you know, not here by mistake and thinking you're calling your dentist or something.
1: That's right. Uh, Caller,
7: hello. Hi, I'm, I'm the other Luke. The
5: other Luke? The other Luke.
1: There's more than one. Yeah.
5: that be the author of the fourth gospel, or third gospel? <laughs> you you, you got be. it. Yeah.
7: You know, I, I have a question for the pastors.
5: Uh-huh. Um,
7: do you think that God's relationship with humanity, with Adam and Eve... Was perfect before the fall. Well, we have first of and all, and if so, and if so, why was it a good idea to introduce sin to humanity?
0: Yeah, um, you have to understand. Unfortunately, we're not three fundamentalist pastors. Unfortunately, well, I mean, <laughs> you know, goodness. so so um, this is not going to be you know a knockdown drag on, a drag out fight about. Oh fundamentalist doctrine and stuff so I don't know that any of us would think that the fall actually happened and was more mythological than anything
4: but Luke Collar you're, yes. you're asking a question around how does evil – how can we explain the existence of evil in a world that also permits the idea of a good God? It's a perpetual dilemma. It's been thought about since the first century of the Christian era, which means nobody has come up with a lasting answer that everybody gets along with. And even the Bible makes it hard to understand what we have in the biblical narrative is an explanation as to how bad things happen, not God's motivation for letting it go that way. That's the trouble with Scripture. It's just a record of what people think happened, not not, shall we say an insight or look uh, into God's mind. Even John Calvin makes a point of saying we don't know what God's will is or God's thoughts are. All we have are the record of God's actions in the Scriptures. So we have to be Quiet about those things, and so if you—if that's a worldview you need to affirm, and God bless you if you do, you're not going to get a great answer. Scripture is going to be real quiet about that.
0: Luke, are, have we hit upon what you are asking, or do you no, want to? No, gonna...
7: no, not at all. Okay, really. go ahead. Um, it seems like, and I've heard this a thousand times, that it was—it's really God's way of showing love to us, in that He introduced sin to humanity. Mm-hmm and he showed that contrast and it just doesn't seem to support and I'm surprised that that you're also not believing that um Genesis is a is a is a historical record of a literal event um so that you know I've heard I'm from a fundamentalist background okay you know and I've just left Christianity altogether but it seems that those kind of things
5: is what prompted me
7: to leave the faith because it does it doesn't add up and hmm. it
5: doesn't make sense. Uh, ag- agreed, in many ways, Luke. This is Andy DeBraver from Douglas Congregational United Church of Christ, and I would never say that that God introduced sin into the world. It, w- it would either be that humanity has, or that it is simply the way the world is. And when we hear these. The story, the mythology of creation. What I hear in that today is um, having an experience, a, a unitive experience, a, a spiritual experience that many of us have had. This sense in prayer or meditation or worship that we're connected with all things. That in in that moment, this eternal now, as uh, Eckhart Tolle is popular for talking about now, is something that we experience wholeness and perfection in. And then we go out, and it's not there there's there's kind of a fall from that, and this mytho- mythological story of adam and eve is is a way of saying look here's here's how that uh, is one how, here's how that is explained one way to explain that within the myth of creation a way right. to
0: explain that there's sin in the world that how humanity began and you know all that uh, in right. one little story, as well as one, our
5: connectedness with God right. and with right. one another and with the right. earth.
7: Right. So you're saying, in essence, that the sin element in humanity is by God's design.
5: No, not really.
0: But then but how then how again, did, you'd have to say, as you know, our skeptical friends would. If right. God created everything, then how could God not have created sin? So, but I, I won't speak for them. Well, I,
2: well, I, one one thing that. Go ahead, go ahead, Luke.
7: But it, it it sounds like that again. That does not add up. That God would have needed the element of sin to project Himself good.
5: Well, that assumes yeah. that God is all good. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to entertain the thought that God also has a shadow side. As, as do we. Wow. These are very liberal pastors. So.
1: <laughs> yeah,
7: yeah, which is really surprising. Yeah. That God would have a shadow side, or I guess I would have to interpret that as a
1: sinful side, mm. which really... A dark side? Well, maybe it's like Nixon said, you
0: know, if, if, if God does it, it isn't sin. <laughs> um, but anyway... So
1: it,
7: yeah, that's I, a whole different conversation.
2: I believe we just hours. talked well, about, about that. Well, you laugh, show, but there's a so. lot of people who uh, use yeah. a defense right. like that. Well, exa- well. see God as a might-makes-right kind of God. and, yeah. and well, uh, That is a classically
4: like Calvinist point of view that God's omniscient and omnipotent. Thanks for omnipotent call, Luke. Yeah, nice. Thanks, Luke,
0: stuff. for the call. Well, I, I,
2: have a, I have a question because I...
0: Um, How about if we hold that just for a second so sure. we can take a break? Mm-hmm. And you're listening to Faith and Reason along with the guys from Reasonable Doubts here on 1680 AM WPRR, Public Reality Radio. Okay, we're back here at Faith and Reason, uh, meeting with the folks from Reasonable Doubts, uh, trying to find common ground and trying to get your phone call. (laughs) 616, well, I think so. 616-656-1680 is our number, you're listening to WPRR, Public Reality Radio. Uh, our guests are Dave Fletcher, Jeremy Bean, and Luke Galen. I'm Bill Freeman, pastor of the Journey Church in Holland, along with Fred Wooden, senior minister at Fountain Street Church in Grand Rapids, and Andy DeBraber from Douglas Congregational United Church of Christ. And, Jeremy, you, before we took a break, you wanted to make a point.
2: Well, my question was for Fred. Um, yeah. Fred, you, you mentioned in, in relation to the, the evil topic um, that... That's the topic of evil, not the yes, topic how, how that can, is evil. Yes, oh, yeah. sorry. I like evil. Things. Yeah. <laughs> all, all, all the topics discussed on reasonable doubts are evil topics. That's right. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, in in relation to God's relation to evil, um, you said you know that's a, that's a deep question. People have pondered that for a long time. And nobody's come up with a satisfactory answer, which I think is fair. I, I think yes, the conti- that debate continues on, and yep. there's different variations on the theme even to this day. Uh, my question for you, though, is um, for me, situations like that, um, if there is no resolution to the problem, that sticks in my mind as an issue, and uh, and so. Yes, there are, there are issues out there where, where I think, yes, there's, there's debate and, and we're not resolved on it and, and I try to go on living my life. But, but the question is you know, how much would it take to cast doubt on God if that problem of evil really doesn't ever work out and there's not a satisfactory um, explanation to it? Wouldn't that count against belief in God? Wouldn't that count that you know, maybe something in this idea isn't making sense with the way the world actually is?
4: I'm going to respond slowly so that, okay. that I don't trip over myself here. Now, we're using the word evil to mean bad things. Yeah. OK. Bad things can also be interpreted in a variety of ways, something that's bad that happens to me. For example, I left something on my kitchen table on the way out the door to get here and I had to turn around and lose 10 minutes to my experience that was bad does it qualify as evil in some cosmic sense probably not so one of the problems I think we have as human beings is discriminating bad luck or just say the random things that screw around with our lives from things that are really Mm -hmm. destructive of of the whole and I think that's one of the problems we have is that we don't know wrong from evil and bad luck from something that's deliberately destructive. I just want to introduce that mm-hmm. because people are really glib about using the word evil when what they mean are a whole lot of things, sometimes really personal things. So what we're going to talk – so what I'd like to reframe this is what, how do we deal with the reality that our world is not perfect? that things don't always go right, either for us personally or for our nation or in the cosmic sense. And does that mean that life reality itself isn't worth it? So it's a it's a meaning question, not which is why we have moral words like good and evil that attach to them. And I'm saying this only because we have this idea somehow that things ought to be better. And I think it's that projection of betterness that begets the question. Animals don't have this question, do they? Right. At least to, to our knowledge they're not sitting around pondering the niceties of good and evil. So we could they ask do have radio shows? Th- thank goodness. <clears throat> oh, okay. Uh, we can't do the competition as it is, Bill. I mean, if, they, if, if there were squirrel talk shows, we would be so out of business. <laughs> At any rate, So it's clearly a human question. So we're the ones who are attaching value to things. I know this is really way way abstract, but let's, let's localize that we're thinking about this because we're the ones who have these thoughts. And yet we project it on the universe that somehow the universe has to be good or bad. So... I'm not sure that we have really cast this question accurately. We want the world to be different than it is, and we're not asking why we want it to be different. And therefore, we're not. We, we, I'm begging the question as to why this why this question of good and evil even exists. Well, it
2: doesn't really actually matter to to um, my viewpoint. Is being more from a naturalistic basis, evil can easily be accounted for. Um, yeah, of course, <clears throat> we are not creatures that were made for any specific purpose here. Uh, we came through a long process of evolution, mm-hmm. and you know, that didn 't fit the organism to be perfect and happy and blissful mm-hmm. all the time and so i 'm just you know can just accept the cold, harsh reality that there's going to be a lot of suffering in this world, and work to prevent what aspects I can. And now, you
4: know, now I flip that around and say, so why change it for the better if betterness is not really a useful option to work toward, if we're all kind of stuck in this miasma of stuffness?
2: Well, I don't, I don't see why betterness is not an option to work towards. I mean, I, but, I would locate that, that value of, you know, any question of meaning or value, I think you, you have to follow it up with the very next question, meaning or value to who? Well, it's also I think the fact that we exist and we have experience means that, you know, we can suffer, we can feel pleasure, and that we, uh, it feels better to us to be uh, in a situation where we're not suffering. And so that becomes a ground then to pursue a better life, uh, a more fulfilling life.
0: It's also relative, mm-hmm. isn't it? I mean, the old story about the guy, the young man who works on a farm and he breaks his leg and people say oh too bad you broke your leg that's really a tra- tragedy and then a war breaks out and everybody else has to go to war but the guy with the broken leg and you know i mean it it's all depends on your perspective what's bad or what isn't a broken leg might be bad unless you get i
2: i think to there war. are some things though that are, that are pretty Clearly bad. I mean, right. there there might right. be a, a silver lining in in the nine eleven attacks that, that people unified and came together. But those that was pretty bad. Uh, right. There's you know the tsunami. I, I can't see the uh, uh, the goodness. Okay. Yeah, the goodness outweighing the balance of the bad. Now, now I don't have a problem accounting for that. But the question is, if if there is a God, and if this God exists and, and is a and is a good and righteous God and seeks the best for His creation. How, does, how is that reconciled?
4: Well, see, now we're back to Andy's observation that maybe we're already we're setting up a straw God, as it were, that God, by definition, has to be good and perfect and omniscient and omnipotent. And where does it say that? Even like, the Scripture is equivocal about what God is or isn't can and can't, will and won't, which is not to say that I affirm everything in it as being true. I'm just saying that the pictures we've been handed through our culture are really equivocal about God. God is not all perfect. God is not omniscient. God makes mistakes, right there at the beginning of the Bible. I, said, I shouldn't have made all these people. I don't have a flood and start over again. That's not what you call a lot of forethought on a divine mind. So we have a lot. We have a very complex picture. Again, I'm thinking this is the projection of human beings on how the or- universe is organized, and it's a really inadequate picture because. 6,000 years ago, people didn't know as much stuff as they know now. And
2: I, 6, I agree, 000... but, but then why are we carrying on the projection? Because the it, right. issues
4: that they're responding to are still real. What's right, what's wrong, what's true, what's false, what's good and what's bad still haven't been so, so completely settled by any alternative that people still hang on to that. But,
2: stuff. We do right. know but that, wouldn't that... that prompt us to look for a more useful solution, a, a right. better way of thinking that could make sense of these things that could, uh, uh, you could reach be the,
0: useful? You just reached the end. That could make sense. Well, let's see if our caller makes sense. We have one on the line at 616-656-1680. Caller, hello.
8: Yeah, this is Rick. Hey, Rick. morning, gentlemen. Great discussion. Uh, I, I guess the term that, uh, to try to reconcile an all-powerful, all-benevolent God with evil is it's called theodicy, isn't it? Isn't that the... Yes,
2: the, so that's usually when, when trying to find a solution to the problem of evil.
8: Yeah, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think that... Uh, one of you folks mentioned that uh, both sides are unprovable. I mean, people who are atheists, uh, and, you know, you can get into a psychological dissection of somebody's mind, I mean, they they have a reason for being an atheist. A theist has a reason for being a theist. I mean, m- m- many times atheists accuse theists of, of wishful thinking, and that's, that's a fair uh, assessment. But on, by the same token, uh, we could say that people who don't want there to be a superior being in the universe are also engaging in wishful thinking. But I guess my my, my thought is is that um, and, and you just touched on it, you know, where in scripture does it actually say that God is omniscient, omnipotent and um, and omnibenevolent if that's a word. Um, it really doesn't speak specifically and I, I think you're probably all familiar with the book of Job, correct?
6: Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm.
8: Now it seems to me that if anyone reads that and mm-hmm. takes that literally, um it seems any atheist could look at that and say, yeah, that's how I think God is. He's just very capricious. He, you know, for those who maybe are, that are listening have never known about the book of Job, it's basically a thing where the devil went to God and says, oh, this servant Job you think is so loyal. Just let me have him for a while. I'll show you how loyal he is. And God basically says, yeah, go ahead. You know, it's, it's, it's really a, um, a situation where God and the devil are playing with a man, and it's kind of a microcosm that story of what life is really like, for those of us who are theists, you say that, and I've often thought, you know, as a believer, well, why is it that God and the devil, who are the two antagonists, are the only ones who never really seem to suffer, and everyone else, including Jesus, if you believe that he existed, had to suffer and die. But the two antagonists, they're not touched. And I'm just wondering, why couldn't an atheist read the book of Job and say, yeah, I can believe in that kind of a guy because he he comes across as kind of an S.O.B. Well, uh, let me – Okay, Rick, thanks for calling. Thank you.
1: Let me uh, clarify one point real quick. First off, atheists, it's not that we um, don't – that we hope for no God in the universe or however it was that Rick put it. It's not that we're – it's that we don't believe that there is one. It's not that we want to believe there isn't one. Um, It's that there is no – no evidence to suggest that there is one. And, and I think by definition an atheist couldn't look at the book of Job and say, yes, I, uh, that's the god that I believe in because atheists don't believe in a god. Yeah, um, if our
2: motivation was to hate god, then yeah, we would sure. get something out, out, out of that. But, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know – well, I think first Why John, we would want to believe in a in a evil God? Right. Uh, if I wanted to believe in a God, I would want to believe in a in a good one.
1: Well, it, I, it's just really hard to do that given the evidence. Well, right.
0: I think he he mentioned there's no place in Scripture where you find things, and we mentioned that before. But I think First John four sixteen God is love. Um, we can't picture love. What's the def? You know, how do we define love? love in a box.
1: Yeah, but I mean God is love. Does that mean I, God, my fiance? I mean, what is that that statement? What does that mean? Is God synonymous with love? Or is God represented by the act of love? Or, or, you know, what does that mean?
5: Well, one of the things it's that it It's beautiful poetry. It is beautiful poetry, and it breaks down the term atheist, or theist for that matter. Um, I would consider myself an ah- uh, theist, I think Bill has addressed this on this show before, maybe not, but that theism technically, right, is a God out there, like in the book of Job, running the world, making wagers with the devil, omniscient, uh, you know, all-powerful, whereas I don't believe in that kind of God. So I'd be an atheist according to the technical term there. I believe in a God that is... Is much more imminent than transcendent. That's one we experience here among us, between us, in relationship, uh, in that in that kind of loving sense. There, Dave, and one in in whom or who calls us to a a sense of wholeness and, and growing towards that in all times, in all ways.
1: I, I kind of resent you taking taking <laughs> our label there because I mean that's not that's not and uh, you may be you know. Um, Correct linguistically, and I'm not sure that you that you are. But but to call yourself an an atheist or an atheist and believe in this transcendent um, boogity woogity, um, that's not really. Is that a um, yeah, yeah. I, I went to a maybe it'd be That's an where an, I maybe. got my
5: theological training. <laughs> maybe so. anti-theist would be better.
2: Well, <laughs> I think there's a question that's that's prior to what we're talking about, and and that is. Um, how do you discover truth about God? Um, we've mentioned the scriptures a couple of times. We've mentioned how you know it's insane to read some of this stuff literally and I would agree. Um, but historically where people get their God concepts has been through that tradition, through those scriptures. And you guys seem to know where you disagree with the concept of God that's been presented in the scriptures. Uh, and And you have other views of what he might be like. I want to know – or she, I, I know, or she I, yes. Yeah. And I need no, to reaffirm this when roll, I'm using man. personal pronouns. Right. No, I, I I'm I just out of convention. Yep. Yeah. Um, but I, I want to know where, where do you acquire your knowledge about God? What's, what's the method that you use to discern the nature of God? Because it can't be, you know. The fundamentalist has the easy answer to this. It's the right. wrong one, <laughs> right? Right. But it's it's the it, at least you can understand the logic. He says it says it here. Then this is what I believe. Yeah.
4: Okay, Fred wouldn't hear. I'll resort to a quote from Plato. Okay. <clears throat> Old guy, actually, and who's quoting Socrates? But you know, he put the words in Socrates' mouth somewhere in the Timaeus. Plato has Socrates say, "God is to the universe as the mind is to the body." And the reason I know this is because I was, uh, I was, familiar, I was personally acquainted with a gentleman named Charles Hartshorn, who was a disciple of uh, Alfred North Whitehead who tried as a scientist to create a metaphysical system that was consistent with the science of his day. Uh, and for him, for, North, for Whitehead and for Hartshorn, the question of cohesion, meaning, and value could only be expressed in a concept of God, not a reality. In other words, it was logically useful, and it fit the structure of reality, which is a really bizarre way of saying, I don't know if there is a God, but I have a funny feeling that the universe makes as much sense with one as without one. And therefore, I really want to look to see if that concept bears out over a period of time. So we all start with a premise, but uh-huh. you actually ad- you actually started with the premise there is a God as kids. You gradually let go sure. of it. I started out with the premise the premise there wasn't one, and I've come to the point where I'm saying. Well, there could be, but not the one that I've seen presented in various scriptural traditions. And let's remember, there is more than one scriptural tradition, not just the Jewish, not just the Christian. There's also an Islamic scriptural tradition, which is akin but separate from. There's also a Buddhist scriptural tradition, which is truly non-theistic but does have a very elaborate Mm -hmm. structure of Mm -hmm. meaning, transcendental Mm -hmm. meaning. And a Hindu tradition, which is way more elaborate than anything here. And there are a lot of Hindus in this town. Who's to say that any one of us has a good purchase on it? So – my response is – my guess is I don't know if there is a god or a godness in the universe, but I think it's logically possible. And I'd be foolish not to at least give that a good, long, hard, critical, but at the same time en- engaged look.
2: Oh, I, I would absolutely agree that it's, it's an important thing to consider. And, okay. and that's one thing that we would repeat to atheists yeah. as well.
4: And I'm also uh, saying it's rational, not Irrational. But I would join I would stand next to Andy here and say the God we see presented in the in the familiar scriptural tradition is antiquated, partial, and fundamentally inadequate to the way we live our lives now. But does that mean it wasn't powerful then and doesn't have something to teach now? Of course. I still read Plato even though I don't believe in Zeus. I was
1: going to say, I teach Greek mythology. (laughs) I teach Norse mythology. I think those stories are valuable, but I, I wouldn't say to anyone go start a church to Thor. You, you know, know, it's yeah, not... I exactly. Mean, it's, it's mythology. No, can, but that's, well, that's, and that's the Bible where, is a valuable piece of literature and a valuable am, piece of cultural mythology. Absolutely.
4: Its power is indisputable. Yeah.
0: Its authority is highly disputable. That's where I became so, a skeptic, uh, was in 10th grade mythology, Greek or English class when we studied Greek mythology, mm-hmm. and the teacher said, uh, you know greeks explain reality by telling these mythological stories about it and i went oh the bible does the same thing there wasn't really an adam and eve mm-hmm. that's just the bible's way of saying the beginning of humanity and so you know thus began whatever skeptical christian or whatever yeah. i am but
2: if if your criteria was was returning back to that a notion of pragmatism yeah. I don't know if you said pragmatism No, not, I did. But you said you – said I like William James a lot, okay, so let's go. So yeah, we'll, we'll go down the James route. Which, Absolutely. Um, if, if pragmatism is your criteria and you're going to select or adopt certain beliefs of God or reject them based on their usefulness mm-hmm. bore out over time, um, since you clearly seem to have accepted that idea of God, how have you found it to be useful um,
4: The simplest way to – by the way, I refer you to a great essay by William James. He wrote it in 1883. I've used it over and over again, a little bitty one called Reflex, Action, and Theism. Uh, Very short essay, but it still contains all the nuggets of modern philosophy of religion. It's just spectacular. So all of you listening out there, I'm sure you have your copy of William James right up on the (laughs) Mm -hmm. shelf. Go over there, pick it up, flip to the 1883 lecture called Reflex, Action, and Theism. He even uses Martin Buber's language. It's just astonishing. I'm saying that so Andy can say, ooh. Uh, and also, to that extent, he was a psychologist. And he was a psychologist not in the clinical sense like our good friend over here, but in the experimental sense. So he was not, being a, the- he was not a theist trying to, trying to use science to justify it. He was actually using science to suggest that theism is a legitimate structure to contemplate. So that he was legitimizing the structure without using scripture. Um, My answer to you is when I consider the thought that the universe is a really enormous place and I don't know enough about it to even guess what it's all about, I like to hope, I hold out the hope. This is my heart has reasons that reason doesn't understand part. I'd like to think that the whole universe is at least as bright as I am alone, which is my way of thinking if I'm an intelligent creature inside the universe, isn't it possible that the universe as a whole is at least as bright as I am. And I'm not going to structure how that looks or how it behaves. I'm going to say that it's a coherent whole the way I'm a coherent whole as an individual and then I have a measure of awareness. So why is it is it not rational for the rest of things to be as
2: coherent as I am? I'm, I'm not clear that it is. Um, I'm not sure I'll, that it I'll isn't. But
4: I'm, I'm going to offer that it could be and so I keep my Thoughts open to the possibility that there is a coherence to reality that has unity. I'm and that's where I appoint my capacity to think about the word God.
2: Well, let's stay open to it and consider some of the, the possible criticisms, too. Um, you mentioned before that it, it's look at how we create a straw God mm-hmm. by projecting. I, I don't see how this is anything other than anthropomorphizing the universe. And, you know, I'll answer James with Hume. Um, Hume pointed this out in his uh, in his critiques. I, I can't I can't actually remember the name of the essay, um, but he was saying, you know, why do we anthropomorphize? It's almost as if we're saying intelligence, this thing that we have, mm-hmm. at, over and above a lot of different animals too. Not saying we know a lot more about animal intelligence than they did at that time, but aren't we then? projecting humanity onto the universe, saying it must have this thing that we value above all else, reason, intelligence, well, see, now, but and you're, critical you're, reflection. And now,
4: see, you're the one that's saying that somehow we're exceptional human beings. And I'm saying maybe we're not exceptional. Maybe we're more typical of the nature of reality
0: than exceptional. I'm wondering if maybe we're not just having differences of semantics. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, I, I sort of animated at the beginning... Um, you know, if if you guys and we were walking down the beach at Holland State Park and saw a sunset, you all might say, if it was particularly beautiful, oh, my goodness, and we might say, oh, my God, and is there just that difference, at least with us? I mean, you know, fundamentalists might have a different view of God. They have a and, different
1: view of pretty much everything, right. yeah.
5: Well, Bill, we never came back to to the earlier question, really, about what is faith, as well. If you're going to talk semantics,
1: (laughs) which fair um, enough. Maybe we should get to after a quick break.
0: Why don't we take one? You're listening to Faith and Reason here on WPRR Public Reality Radio, and we will be back. Stay with us. Welcome back to Faith and Reason here on WPRR Public Reality Radio. And you can get in on the discussion if you'd like at 616 656 1680, 656 1680. And you can also listen online at publicrealityradio.org. And we are Faith and Reason. My name is Bill Freeman, pastor of the Journey Church in Holland with Fred Wooden, Senior Minister at Fountain Street Church in Grand Rapids, and Andy DeBraber, Minister at uh, Douglas Congregational United Church of Christ. And we are meeting and talking and hopefully being reasonable with the folks from Reasonable Doubts, Dave Fletcher, Jeremy Bean, and Luke Galen. And Luke, we haven't heard from you in a while. Uh, what, are, what are your Thoughts, because I see you over there, and and it seems to me you're in you're deep in thought. He's or the George Harrison of the group. You're,
1: yeah. you're off I'm, in I'm not sure with. He's the soft spoken member. Uh, well, you know,
3: regardless regards to what you just said about difference in semantics, I think that gets us a long way. That 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 we might label things differently. I think from from my perspective, a lot of the things that that make a difference between our side of the table and yours is that um, is the issue of falsifiability. Uh, That is um, the issue of the simplest explanation. Uh, So some of the terms, I don't really, you know, my philosophy background is not as good as some of yours. But uh, when we use terms like, you know, saying that rather than transcendent, it's imminent or when somebody says that God is the the mystery of the universe or some of these things, I just really... um, uh, if we're not going to have a specific definition of things, why not just simply stick with the simplest definition uh, that, that gets us the longest mileage? Occam's Razor. Which, which Occam's Razor. Yeah. Which is that, you know, if I could say, well, I don't know whether God exists, but there's a special feeling I get when I look at a sunset, to use right. your example, or right. that there's something, a connection between us that seems spiritual, if it can be accounted for by a a mechanistic explanation that's something in your brain or whatever, which I don't even think William James ruled out, then that's what it is. Why add something on top of that to say it's spiritual, it's mystical, when it's just – when there's no evidence to to think that?
4: Well, Occam's razor, Fred Wooden here, has three conditions. The the simplest answer that fits all the conditions Mm -hmm. is the most likely to be the best answer. So there's a probabilistic ending, most likely not guaranteed, Fits all the conditions, and that 's the hardest one, because there may be conditions that are rather obscure, we may not know all the factors, so we tend to land on the simplest answer and I think affirming there is a God and it 's the one in the Bible, or affirming there is no God and it 's the one that 's not in the Bible uh, are both good, simple answers, but they may or may not be full, f- fully account for all the variables that you 're trying to answer, and they may in fact both be wrong because there 's a probabilistic Question at work. Well, do I, I do want to jump in.
2: It's, it's not necessarily. Sometimes we we make atheism to be out more than it is. I understand. A- a- atheism isn't really uh, any sort of belief system or or.
4: Ah, but that's where I think it is. There is a belief it, system. It's not. It is. Not let let me It is not doctrinal. I agree with. Let
2: you. me finish real quick. Yeah. And, and what I mean is, my atheism to tell you. It looks like we have a uh, the emergency emergency broadcast system is cutting into our interview right now just for a moment. So we're not even on. It's possible. Okay, now that that's over. <laughs> well, yeah, but
0: let's use that as a as a, you know, divine intervention or a, con- uh, a coincidence. If if this had been an actual emergency, you know, maybe the three of us would be praying to God or whatever mm-hmm. that uh, you know, the bomb's not falling. Well, what would you all do?
1: Well, Try to find a solution? Yeah, look for the nearest. <clears throat> or a safe place? Safe yeah, place. get yeah. home to my family? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah I'm, that's I'm,
2: most likely what happened. Yeah, I'm, happen.
4: I'm with Mother Jones here. You pray for the dead and you work like hell for the living.
2: <laughs> um, I, I would like to, though, continue my clarification is okay. that it's uh, – I, I believe what we should be pitting is a naturalistic worldview versus theism. Um, yeah. and, and so if the question now is, is comparing you know, what we see and does it make a lot of sense – um, do our naturalistic accounts, what we, what we can gain through empirical science uh, and logic, do those things account well enough for the situation? Do they account for all the data? Uh, or is there some reason why we need this extra premise, this extra being of a god to be in there? And so I, I think when we're talking about Occam, Occam's razor, it's important to keep that account, into account – we're not just talking about God versus no God and what that explains. Right.
0: Why is naturalism and theism – why are they mutually exclusive though?
2: Um, I'm just using a definition of naturalism that would say naturalism in the sense of not supernatural.
0: Not supernatural. Right. Uh,
2: of restricting oneself to the types of explanations that are uh, – that we can observe, uh, that are publicly verifiable. Right. Uh, so that, that's what I mean by naturalism. I, I certainly believe a theist can embrace the sciences and the, and physical sciences and biology and use that information. So that's that's not my claim.
0: Okay, because because Martin Luther King, I believe, said the universe bends towards justice, and to me that would be in a way you could say, well, then you know God is bending the universe towards justice, or you could just say. The universe bends towards justice, or you could say that's not true at all. The universe is chaotic, and
2: I bet I think the best question would be: from the evidence that we have about the universe, does it support the view mm-hmm. that there that things work out to be just?
3: Or, or I would say, from a naturalistic point of view, that is there any evidence that things move outside human, simple human actions and, and mechanistic explanations for that? You know, I I, w- I wanted to mention also something that came up before is that you we've been talking about very rarefied kind of liberal uh, view of God as being you know we, uh, somebody I think it was Andy that said he did, wasn't even sure he's entirely good or whatever and then you mentioned that thing with the, when the disaster thing went off we could pray <laughs> people always ph- philosophically back up into a very non falsifiable position and say God could be this or maybe he's not even something intelligible to us. But then, when you when you're when people are in trouble, that most people's ninety nine percent of people's understanding is it's a god that I can pray to, or he would like this sunset. He made this. Uh, uh, that the, the, in practice, they reveal their assumptions about God. So, uh, in a philosophical dis- discussion, it becomes very difficult to nail people down on maybe God's not even you know this or that. But if he's somebody that when the rubber meets the road, you pray to, right. uh, is involved with beauty and connections between people or something like that. Guiding you're, justice. You're revealing
4: your assumptions right there about what God
3: is.
0: Okay. Yeah.
4: You know, some years ago, Fred Wooden, uh, I, I used a term called transcendental structures of meaning. Do, is there a way for us to articulate whether or not there are transcendental structures of meaning, which is to say, meanings that are larger than any one person uh, that exist outside, or that are larger than one person or one group of people, meaning a culture or a religion, which is. Uh, that's an, again an esoteric phrase because I want to avoid for the moment talking about gods or no gods. But the reality is the idea of God is a transcendental structure of meaning. It says there are things that matter in a way that is larger than today or tomorrow or things like or me or you. So w- Well
0: we we will talk more about all of that and other things in just a minute, but we need to take a break. You're listening to Faith and Reason right here on public reality radio. Stay with us. <laughs>
2: Offering you something to think about twenty four seven. This is Reality Radio WPRR 1680 Ada Grand Rapids. You can also find us streaming across the World Wide Web at publicrealityradio.org.
0: back to faith and reason here on public reality radio wprr our uh, phone number is 616-656-1680 616-656-1680 if you have a question for us or our guests uh, we this is kind of a combined show of faith and reason and the folks from reasonable doubts we actually
1: have an email that has come in. Oh, my goodness. We have an email question. Can
5: you um, give us that email address a minute, Bill?
0: Yes, we can. Is it Pastor Bill Freeman? We ha- there's,
1: there's two ways okay. you can contact us over email, and that's either PastorBillFreeman at gmail.com. Okay. Or, all one word, or DoubtCast at gmail.com.
0: And so this came over DoubtCast. And this,
1: this came from DoubtCast. And uh, um, a listener is wondering if um, if you gentlemen... Uh, Believe that you can raise a child morally without religion, without a god belief. Can you can you raise children? um, Yes, without absolutely. But there's a lot of people who would argue that. I know, and they're not here. They're not. (laughs) (laughs) Luckily. (laughs) <laughs> um, but but, I think it speaks to the question of where of do we get what, our what do you need religion yeah, for, and right. what is where does morality come from, if well, not from
0: religion? Let me take a shot at what do we need religion for because I think religion tries to answer the meaningful questions, as does science but religion <clears throat> i in my mind religion also reminds us to be thankful for what we have to express gratitude to. The universe, to God, to whatever, but just to be mindful of the fact that, hey, you know, life is for the most part good. The sunset is nice. The you know, flowers are pretty, and that kind of thing. And and to find, and you guys can elaborate on this, but and and to find reason and um, in in life and meaning in life, and to remind each other to love one another and try to. Do justice and love kindness and walk humbly and that kind of thing
1: but but so much of the time we see religion doing kind of the exact no. opposite no, that no. it 's reminding us of the differences and and I would say the way I um show my gratitude is by thanking people <laughs> right the way i you know um
0: but just uh, i 'm talking about you know things that are in the natural uh, yeah. in natural in nature. Just being thankful that you're able to realize that.
1: And I'm, I'm thankful to Taking the beauty of nature by trying to take care of nature. Right, and
0: take
2: time to smell the roses kind of thing. Sure. But, but is there something distinctive that religion offers that you couldn't get any other avenue? Because everything that you just said, aesthetic experience with life, gratitude, mm-hmm. appreciation, we can, we can get those other places. We can get that from philosophy. Right. Um, we can get that from – contemplative life, all those are available to anyone regardless of their metaphysics. So right. is there something distinctive religion offers into the mix that can't be found anywhere else? Guys?
5: Well, I, I want to go, if if I can, go back to closer to the, the emailer's question. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a the famous story told by, <laughs> I need your help on this one, uh, well, the author's first name is Diane, I believe she was a professor at Harvard, um, Dan Comp, maybe. Okay. Uh, anyway, tells she tells a story of a a family with two children. One is a relatively newborn infant, and the other was approximately four, three, four, five years old. You know, uh, and asking the parents, okay, can I can I go in and and talk oh, yeah. with this child? You've heard this one. Bill? I've
0: heard this from Marcus Borg and from. Wayne Dyer but go ahead yeah
5: yeah it's, it's out there and it's probably it may be one of these apocryphal things but uh maybe not um right you guys will get me on that one I know <laughs> <laughs> anyway that that this child the the older child so we'll say four-year-old child um ask the parents I want to go in there alone I don't want you in there and the parents like oh I don't know if that's a good idea you know right. they want to kill the infant so they can keep getting the attention that they have um, so they decided to set up monitors in there so they could listen what's going on. The, the older child goes in and, and is kind to the infant, and, and eventually says, um, "Can you can you tell me about God because I'm forgetting." And it, it does seem that, and and I'm you know I'm curious enough and wondering enough to know how much this is a sociological phenomenon as well as perhaps a religious one. But it, it is frequent uh, in my experience of having children, of knowing people who have children, that, that children ask these kind of questions. Um, and is that, is that simply because that's what they hear? It's, what, it's the culture that we find ourselves swimming in? Or is it because there is some uh, innate experience before that that, that is, is lost and perhaps recovered over time?
3: In psychology – this is Luke – that there's a lot of theories actually now. It's kind of springtime for a lot of evolutionary and developmental psychology theories about how people – are people blank slates and you have to teach them religion and socialize them? Or uh, there's some evidence that actually they uh, come with uh, uh, the capacity to be religious or to have um, things like in evolutionary psychology they would call external agent detection, thinking that the default is that something's out there and they have to be – that has to be unlearned. That Mm -hmm. is – Atheism and what we've been talking about is non-natural, and that actually the, the, the brain is somewhat developed to have these different modules that produce supernatural intuitions. They are separate things. So, like uh, agency detection, there's an agent out there, or like face detection. Oh, I saw a cloud. Maybe it looks like a face. That mm-hmm. those things are separate things, but our mind corrals it together under. Hey, maybe there's an agent out there who watches me who cares about what i do cares about moral but all those things are actually separate modules that have evolved for totally different reasons
5: one of those might be that we live much less anxiously right? yeah so so like
3: it's it's comforting although you can make an argument that religion produces as much discomfort sometimes than comfort right. um, it's i know not it makes adaptive. me uncomfortable <laughs> But one, one beneficial As thing – As if it doesn't us. Right. <laughs> so like uh, in evolutionary psychology, this theory is about like group altruism, getting the groups. We would not have evolved the way we had if we killed each other, that even chimpanzees and monkey right. troops, any social animal has to be able to play nice. Well, what if those things get extrapolated when you have a big brain into God wants us to play nice or there's an outside agent that wants us to play nice? Didn't I
0: hear sure. or read someplace that, that scientists say that we have a God gene?
3: Yeah, that was a little (laughs) overhyped, I think, to sell the books. But there are – the guys – what it boils down to is he found a certain gene. I think it was in the serotonin system that uh, when people that had a certain form of it had higher transcendent-type experiences than people who had a different form.
4: Well, well, I'm sure you're you're familiar with the work of uh, James Fowler on faith development. Mm -hmm. Stages of faith. uh, Stages of faith. And what this taught me is that like it or not, people are going to (laughs) have these ideas – not just because they're in the culture, they're going to ask these questions: Why am I here? Does it matter? What, so these speculative questions the, about purpose, the meaning, Stockdale and
0: value—questions: yeah,
4: Who see, am I? Why am I here? Yeah. Well, I'm talking about. I think that it's inevitable we're going to ask these questions and that the that religion is a response to those questions so some people like to say I'm spiritual but not religious is what they're telling me is I need, I'm still thinking about these questions but I haven't come down with a package of answers that I find satisfying yet mm-hmm. so when I talk about everyone has faith I'm not saying they have faith in a particular st- system or a pattern of answers but they're all saying I, I, like Albert Camus would say that suicide is the only pertinent philosophical question any day you get up and don't offer yourself for somebody else, you've answered affirmatively that something worth hanging on to is going on. That's a faith statement because you don't have all the evidence of the world to support it. You're making a guess, a really cool guess, by the way. Søren Kierkegaard talked about it as the leap of faith. What it comes down to is everyone that's sitting in this room has made that kind of, quote, leap of faith and saying, I think I'm going to stay alive today because I think there might be something going on in this life that's worth living inside of. And then we each... Deal with that question of how do I know it 's worth living, and we put together – i 'll use Alexander Calder. we hang a, a different mobile each one of us uh, with different size weights on them, some of them for your i 'm looking across the table here to the and to the non theists the uh, uh, and say well i don 't need to have God in my mobile, and you don 't you really don 't some of us choose to, and guess what it still floats. And we could debate as to whether or not yours is prettier than mine or yours is more accurate than mine. But the reality is we're all creating these little mobiles of authorities, empirical faith, uh, imp- empirical facts, history, art, feelings, uh, anxieties, yeah. sto- but, but, stories. Um, but hold on. Hold but on. every one of us
1: you're does putting, You're putting all of this together on the same level. And, and I think and I, we still haven't really gotten to the, the question of what is faith. And I think right. – Faith I, I think, is our response I think, to being Well, let, let alive. me define it. Define it. Well, I, I don't how know we, what that how means. We um, I would say, faith, religious faith, is is the blind faith. It, faith, quote unquote, and I I hate using the term for it based on empirical evidence is not is not faith. Okay, I I have, to use your term, I have faith that my fiance loves me. That's not based on the fact that, well, I don't know. Feels good. No, it's based on the fa- the way she treats me, the way she talks to me, our interactions. Okay, having that faith is very different than having faith that there is an invisible man in the sky who can who I cannot see, hear, interact with, or uh, hear anything back from. Who loves me? It's totally different. We are absolutely different degrees of faith. It's it, you shouldn't even be using the same word to talk ah, about faith in the so, empirical So you're offended and faith by the word, and use the, use of the word faith
4: because I'm using them interchangeably. I, 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 I don't well, like,
1: like using faith for, for stuff that can be empirically shown it, It's not it's, it's a, what, what it leads Misleading to is use of
2: the word what, we, what it leads to here is is um, and I think this has been happening a lot in this conversation is, is equivocation If we're talking if we need to be specific about our terms and, and what we mean and, and, uh, and how we're using them and if we're not, it's very easy to swap out meanings, almost, uh, almost like a sleight-of-hand trick mm-hmm. as to what exactly we mean in faith. So in one context, all we mean by faith is, is trust, trusting in somebody. Right. In another context, we mean this leap of faith, which means I'm going to believe in something right. even though I've already acknowledged that the evidence isn't enough to take me there. Well, I mean, why else will you use let, the let ask, analogy no well, in of In fact,
4: leap. your word right. trust is very useful. We use the word faith that comes out of the Latin word fides, This is the same word as fidelity, which is you're talking about with your fiancé. You believe right. that she's going to stay true to you, faithful to you, and not in the sense that she believes in you in, in spite of any evidence to the contrary. It's a, it's, an, it's a loyalty question. Right. So it's about trust. So at some level when I'm talking about faith, I think I'd like to reclaim faith away from its being packaged as a Christian phenomenon. I think that that's been the real travesty is that Christianity has gone off and grabbed these words that I think are essentially universal and turned them into brand names. And there's a part of me that says, you guys should go out there and say, I am a man of faith. I believe in my world yeah, and,
1: and my really world this is legitimate. By our but legitimate. But you,
2: would you at least acknowledge that in this conversation so far, we've used different – definitions of faith and then just we've used diff,
4: No, we've used different contents of faith and I'm trying to argue. No, and I think well, let me point it out, though,
2: here. if we're talking about trust in another individual and we're saying that's that's what we base it on. And no, just, not in another individual. And just a sense of or trust. Or a sense of trust, believing in what we believe. Yeah.
0: Well, let me, let me have, present a couple Can, different. Okay, right. go, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt.
2: Well, I just want to give you a little more input on how we would relate to faith or at least or at least how I would relate to faith, and that is there are situations where I would acknowledge there are things that I believe that I cannot prove. One would be the principle of induction that underlies a lot of the sciences, the idea that um, there, things will behave um, – we can tell from some small set of observations, some sort of general fact about how the universe probably works. Or the regularity and order of nature. Things will behave the way they do tomorrow. Now, Hume pointed out that there's no logic, just straight logical way to argue for that without circular reasoning. But we need to believe in induction. So there's an instance where I can't prove it, right? But – well, you're laughing, but let me me explain how they're different. The thing is nobody could possibly doubt induction. The fact that you're sitting in those chairs and you believe they would hold you up – the fact that you get uh, – that when you come to a stoplight that's red, you think that still means stop. Mm-hmm. Those are all inductive inferences. So it's something that we must believe by necessity. There are certain things with the axioms of logic, uh, just the core rules of logic that we can't prove because they are already the grounds on which any it ever makes sense to say proof. Um, but they are things we believe by necessity. So I'm OK. If you can show me you know that I believe in these things and I have to believe them out of necessity. I have no other doubt. Yeah. Now what we – what you do then, what some people do with faith is they take it a step beyond that. Yeah. They say, no, we've done all the research. We've done everything we can. We're not just choosing amongst the more reasonable of different unsatisfactory options or incomplete options. What they're doing is they're saying, "No, I'm, I'm going to make that leap. I am going to believe in something. I'm going to uh, assent to some sort of proposition that I know I can't entirely justify. It may not even be the most reasonable of two options." And then that's the definition of faith. Hmm. So you can you you can use one definition of faith when somebody's calling you out on you know how do I base my belief system? Well, I don't mean by faith just believing in. Uh, in some sort of authority i mean I mean trust, I mean um, standing by those things I do believe, and then when we 're in the in the question of how do we justify our beliefs, then we switch to the different definition of faith that 's awfully confusing, and you can hide a lot of things underneath that confusion.
0: Let me introduce two other terms, but only after I say you 're listening to faith and reason on w p r r Public reality radio. 1680 AM, and we invite your calls at 616-656-1680. And my name is Bill Freeman, pastor of the Journey Church in Holland, along with Fred Wooden, senior minister at Fountain Street Church in Grand Rapids, and Reverend Andy DeBraver of Douglas Congregational UCC Church. And we are talking with the guys from Reasonable Doubt, Dave Fletcher, Jeremy Bean, and Luke Galen. And we would love to hear your calls at 616-656. Six five six sixteen eighty, and the, okay, faith and all this stuff. What about just the concepts of odd or God? I mean, I've I've had things happen to me that I say that other people might say that's odd, and I say that's God, and I'll give you a flippant kind of funny, hopefully, react you know story. <laughs> so and, and that is we yeah, right. Um, you know, I'm visiting a, a girl in college, and and thinking that maybe she's interested in me. And realizing too, right? Yeah, Yeah, a while ago, Bill. Right? right. (laughs) I'd say, odd. talking about leaps of faith here, Bill. Geez, definitely. Yes, yes. This was many, many moons ago, and and um, you know, and and I realize in meeting, you know, in her dorm room that this that she's not interested in me at all. And I go to my car and I turn on the car and I say, basically, to God or the universe or whatever, what the heck am I doing here? And the answer comes back over the radio. Everybody plays the fool. Hmm. Um, and, you know, that's just a goofy little Boy, story. Well, at least
1: it wasn't everybody jump. Oh, uh, right. Might as well jump. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that could have been a bad situation.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. but <laughs> I would call that a coincidence. Okay, coincidence. Yeah. Okay,
0: then I, okay, I'll give you another one then. And this was, I was going to uh, preach a ser- my first sermon. And the the uh, minister at whose church I was doing the internship at said, you have to use the lectionary, the agreed-upon you know scripture for that week. And I say, no, I don't want to use the lectionary. I want to preach on 1 John 4.16, God is love. No, you have to use the lectionary. Okay, fine. So I go to the lectionary, and what's there? First John 4.16, God is Proving
4: life. that both you and he were not really up to date on the lecture. Right, exactly. <laughs>
0: um, so, you know, that again, that's probably odd, but I just heard on your show that there are more than 31,000 verses in the Bible, according to David Myers. Um, so, you know, that's pretty uh, good
1: odds or something. I mean...
0: You know, I would call it God. Um, Somebody else might call it odd, and I could give you several other that's examples. A
1: very I think, I think that's, that's called the. It's not like you're taking Ezekiel one twenty-seven. No, 127. It's, no it's it comes a, up once every. No, three actually, years, so.
2: your your point here relates oddly enough to an earlier one we were discussing. I mean, that's that's what we would consider a a, a post hoc fallacy, mm-hmm. because one thing followed another. Then we're assuming right. that the first thing was a cause of what followed it. Um, right. Now, now the thing about post hoc fallacies and why this relates to That's what we were – post hoc non-ergo propter shock. Uh, yes, yes thank you. I'm shortening it. <laughs> um, the thing about those types of fallacies is it's an entirely natural way to think.
6: Mm-hmm.
2: It's built into our brains. In fact, our ancestors got by quite well using – that post-hoc mechanism yeah. because it makes sense for us to see causal connections. And if we're going to occasionally make a bad one, well, that's, that's acceptable if it means that we'll also make good yeah. ones. Yeah. Now, so, we were just talking about how religious questions yeah. are inevitable, mm-hmm. the biological basis yeah. for some of these concepts. Well, I see an analogous situation there. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Sure, some yeah. of these things may be inevitable. But if we know that our natural ways of thinking can get us into error, Just as we would study the post hoc fallacy and recognize, you know what, it's okay that our brains do that, but it may lead us into error and we try to guard for that and we try to be more critical and and And, wean out those mistakes, I would say it would be the same thing with agent detection and other things that we have. The
4: capacity for error is universal. It doesn't just attach to our religious thoughts. Oh, I, d- remember, I don't doubt that yeah, at yeah, all. Medieval, but at least medi- medieval is medicine, testible. yeah, well, I mean, well, but medieval science was also as wrong in its assumptions absolutely. until better evidence came across absolutely. the transom. But
2: medieval science dis discarded its, its it false does. premises.
4: Oh, I agree. And that's why I don't line up with the literalist right. notions of religion because they are not incorporating the body of reality that we're coming to – what's really ironic when you think about it well, is that the, the argument for fundamentalism is, is shall we say, a, the, the love child of the Enlightenment by itself because before we got into – Scientific, science as a reality, and it became important most people didn 't argue the literal truth of the Bible. it was just one of the things that was out there as only right. at the sixteenth century you start getting religious people trying to look for empirical evidence to prove the Bible, and the only reason they were doing that is because science was coming up with empirical evidence
2: that was countermanding it so I, the, I, I, think, I think in a sense so you're fundamentalism right. is the but, odd. Is the bastard child of the Enlightenment. At the same time, though, um, pre Enlightenment churches probably didn't sound a whole lot like Fountain Street Church.
4: No, they did not. I'm not <laughs> arguing they would, but let's also see that we're all we're all kind of con- that everyone's in the same struggle here to try to sort the true from the false, the reliable from the unreliable, the wished for from the, rea- from, from the actual. I,
2: I agree and and the point I'm trying to drive home is what a, what is our method? If, if we're going to say, if we're going to be true to it, that we're discarding those things that won't hold up with reason, an aggressive God, all these other now, things, let's, let's, then let's, how can we then use You're
4: using the word reason. I'm going to talk about the word truth, which includes all facts knowable by reason and all facts that are knowable by non-reason and all non-facts that are unknowable altogether, which means a really large amount of stuff out there that we can't at the moment get a hold of. So I would dispute that reason and empiricism are interchangeable. They're not. Reason is a system of thinking, which is great and we need to use it. It's important and it's essential to the critical functions to root out those errors we commit every blessed day of our lives. So I want to say empiricism and science are exquisitely important systems for checking on our error because we commit them all the time. Right. the other reality is that it is that science is not a truth ascertainer it's a truth it's a falsifiability system not an ascertainability system and it's
2: the other reality reliable. is that if it's going to be useful to us we need to apply it consistently absolutely so why are we accepting god or odd style arguments who, 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 um. only bill said that <laughs> <laughs> sorry bill I don't I'm mean so, to be targeting well, that's you. All right. I mean but but yeah. I've seen similar things happen over the course of our discussion we have we have one standard of evidence that we keep when the skeptics ask a, a pressing question. Mm. And then we adopt a new standard uh, of evidence when we're talking God talk. And uh, and I guess since we should probably move on to another subject, I I have another question I'd yeah. like to ask well, you. It's a quick me, one.
0: Well, let me just give one more example of odd or God. Why? Uh. And, that, and that is... and that is Bill, your co-hosts are, are squirming right now. I'm sorry, now. <laughs> but, but that is... We're the, not with him. What, <laughs> what, of what of are odd. the odds that reasonable doubts would... Precede faith and reason. You can figure that out. But oh, maybe, oh, that, that was intelligent
2: design. Dave makes the schedule. <laughs> I was just going to say. Well, it wasn't. Was
0: design. design. How
4: intelligent it was, I wouldn't <laughs> gainsay say that.
2: Well, okay, yeah. we yeah. could argue that. Fair enough. It was designed, though. Now, now, th- here's here's a question. It's it's kind of unrelated. Um, you use the word God. Yes. And and I, th- I guess this is just a semantic question. Um, I would think a lot of – maybe not the people in the pews, but I'm thinking most of the people read, listening to this radio station are going to have a very, very different concept of God than you do. And in fact, sometimes the way you define God, it leaves it open as to whether or not the being even exists. Um, do you ever find that it might – does that confusion that you might provoke in people concern you? Do you think people in the pews or on the radio might hear one thing when you're saying God? I mean, that term itself well, has Dave, such Dave, a lot
0: of baggage. Dave's definition of God before I would disagree with. some The, being, the omnipotence, you know, uh, yeah. like well, the the typical,
2: the typical
1: Thomistic view of God. The God, of God, God. that most, right. most uh, Christians are going to picture. Right. Yeah. At, at well, actually, yeah,
0: don't, uh, you know, don't pull that curtain. I mean, you know, the Wizard of Oz kind of yeah. God. Pay no attention to the man behind yeah. the curtain, manipulation kind right. of
4: stuff.
2: Because uh, I've been with people before who are – I can't find any sort of belief that they would differ with me on. I would consider them atheists. And you, they use that word God as the ultimate expression of human ideals or our potential like, or something or nature, like that. And most or of the something. time, you know, yeah. when people are hearing them, they don't know that that's what's meant by God. And it seems to me like inherently confusing. Right.
4: I think if we can confuse a few more people about this issue, the better we are because it's the dogmatic – character of the way the word is used. So anytime I can muddy up that line by using it, I feel pretty good about it because unsettling people's settlements is really one of the jobs I have as a pastor. That's one of my prophetic tasks is to rattle the cage of certainty. Well, and
2: well But have you that. ever considered that there are fundamentalists that maybe would have moderated their religion um, but because they see your basic approach to truth as being – wishy-washy maybe without substance or foundation or at least very hard to articulate that that will drive them to depend on their fundamentalism so it's our fault they're fundamentalists that's not what i'm saying <laughs>
5: But what I, am saying, what
2: I am saying is I've met an awful lot of people who are um, what we would consider fundamentalists, and I kind of don't even like that word because it lumps in a whole group of people. Yeah, right. But people who are not, not violent in the sense of fundamentalists, not extremists, but they may be biblical literalists. Right. And they have very much an appreciation of evidence, reason. They try to use these things, and they find liberal I, – I think they are legitimate pursuers of truth they find moderate and liberal christianity intolerable to them because they can't they can't discern a method to it right. they can't they can't find you know how do you know these things it seems like whatever you want god to be that's what you make god at that particular moment and they believe that god is something they believe they're fallible god is something outside of them and they want something more reliable than just what their emotions or what a satisfying concept of god might Point them towards.
0: So
4: what I'm hearing is that both the a certain bunch of non theists and a certain bunch of theists have a strongly objective notion of what truth is. And as I heard Andy a little bit ago, I don't want to characterize him, is that some of us are also shall we say, of a mystical quality, which says we interpret not only the data we get from our senses, but those that we get from our responses to our senses, and that we see them, if if they're not consistent, nonetheless to be holistic, and that we try to articulate that reality on that basis. And that means, yeah, we're talking about something, we're speaking a different language here, and we can try to translate around it. But it is a holistic response, not merely, not just, I want to make sure I use, non-judgmental words, not just an empirical response. I think you're fine the way you are. You're grand. And I don't... Thank I, you. And, <laughs> that's very sweet of you yeah say. That's very kind. Because on I the like data, you too. Your shirt a, is really cool too. I like it too, yeah, yes. No, nope, well, people can't see but my shirt says, what if the hokey pokey really is what it's all about? <laughs> I think that's a really good question. What I'm trying to suggest here is that On a day-to-day basis, I think everybody's a functional atheist because nobody opens the Bible to say, how do I turn on my computer? How do I pay my phone bill? How do I cook food? I mean –
1: or a it, naturalist, I think, would be would be more accurate. Than, yeah, they are – well, right. I'm saying yeah. functional atheists, that
4: they don't use their religion to negotiate every day. Mm-hmm. They don't use right. it to buy gasoline, to balance their checkbook. It's a useless document and doctrine has no way of negotiating day-to-day life. And as Bill pointed out, it's only when someone blows the whistle of terror that we suddenly find ourselves dropping to our knees or as we were taught, uh, shall we say, to duck in cover when we were little kids and we have a – you know, we were told that we'd duck and cover because we would somehow survive a nuclear holocaust. We know that's just about as effective as praying. So, so we know that it's only at moments. Actually, moment.
1: in some studies, prayer has actually been shown to um, in uh, heart patients. Luke, do you remember this yeah. study where they had, they had control group one that was prayed for and mm-hmm. knew it, one that was prayed for and didn't, didn't know, know it, yeah. and one that wasn't prayed yeah. for at all? And, and the group that was prayed for and knew it did the worst.
3: Yeah, they did the worst because the, the reasoning being that maybe that they uh, might have. They more felt danger. They could kick back, they could kick back and relax <laughs> right, right. because, hey, I'm being crazy. Smoke for a for cigarette. Or <laughs> if the doctor,
4: them, the like, doctor like, tells holy me, they're Mac, holy mackerel, I must be really sick. Yeah. People are praying uh, for me like 500 crazy.
1: strangers are praying <laughs> for you. Oh,
2: yes. Well, I'm back to the duck and cover thing. I think, right, the way to sh- survive a shockwave is to open up your, your mouth really wide. And so if you were chatting, praying, that might actually be dangerous well, who knows, to you, that's too. Right I think we'd all be Holocaust running for scenarios. the hills just
4: yeah. as my, we're going. My we, point here was that most everybody on the planet mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis does not make decisions around whether God exists or doesn't. We're Agreed. 95% non-theist in the way we operate, and guess what? The world operates just fine. Mm-hmm. So those people who want it to be more theistic, I think, in some ways, in sense, you need, in other words, you need to believe in God more, Are I think they're wrong. Right. I think that there are elements of meaning, value, and what might be the word? Speculation, hope, that are legitimate enough to keep that question open. And for me to close it down altogether doesn't feel honest to me. So I'm sorry a fundamentalist say, ah, he can't make up his mind. I've made up my mind perfectly. The fact that it isn't your mind is fine with me. The fact that it isn't somebody else's mind is also fine with me. But I'm going to stand here and be that guy. And that's all there is. All right. and, I've, and that's just dandy. As far as, and the fact that you don't is,
2: cool well, my too. my concern is if we use our own sentiment yeah. as our as our guide to judging truth, uh, a lot of dark things can lurk around that corner.
4: Well, because maybe we around your corner, postmodernism. Well, okay,
2: sure, sure. <laughs> if you're entirely without prejudice or bias, or and, and are incapable of doing any of those things, then yes, do trust your conscience and your feelings, no matter what. But. Some of us want to subject those ideas to scrutiny and uh, and to see you know is this based on more than just
6: mm-hmm.
2: my feeling and, and what feels right and so i'm I'm curious again i well, let 's go back to the bible yes, how can Why? you tell i 'm wondering what is your criteria? how do you discern between what in the Bible is legitimate, what is it really pointing to God and when is When is it, uh, you know, one of these old things that humans wrote, you know, old cultural baggage seeping through and all that? I I think think it's a a, fair question. I
0: think we use our reason and our knowledge of of the world. How? how? Well, I mean, for example, the Bible speaks well of slavery. I think we know now slavery was an evil that should never have been perpetrated on humankind. Mm -hmm. And so even though the Bible says it's a good thing, we don't
1: believe that. Okay. So, but then you're using uh, things outside of the Bible to understand what is what – then what do you need the Bible for? What, I, what is I the Bible, Bible giving you other than Bible, poetry? Exactly. Which is I not, think the Bible is... But it's is, not even that good a poetry. I mean, the book of Revelation is. is just cuckoo nuts, you know? <laughs> well,
0: Revelation yeah. is, yeah, a whole other thing.
1: Uh, I mean, that. Psalms has some some beautiful passages right, probably. Right, exactly. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm saying. But, Ecclesiastes but it, is yeah. beautiful. But, yeah. but sure. the ideas, which is really, I mean, it's a it's an idea book. It's not right. a entertainment
5: book. It's not an entertainment the, book. But, it, you know, those of us who are choosing to follow something that we call Christianity or follow the way, or, I mean, that would be the lens through which I look at it is if – and again, you go back and say with, with Schweitzer and others that I'll create Jesus in my own image. But to try and right. study and say what, what values do we live by? I mean, if we are functional atheists, as my friend Fred here has said, there still is, are some organizing principles or at least I would hope to make not only myself but everyone aware of the organizing principles by which we live. And so those can be materialism, greed, whatever else, or uh, you know, justice, love, peace, forgiveness—a preferential option for the poor. You know, in listening to the show earlier, and sometimes here we referred to that. Oh, religion is about making people happy. Well, I don't. I don't necessarily agree with that. I mean, religion in many cases is about causing some suffering, or at least being willing to endure suffering for the sake of justice. To endure suffering for. Um, the oppressed and, and making them not oppressed. And, and I'm not saying that those are exclusively the claims of, of religious groups either. I imagine you work on those as well. But, but what is the overarching principle by which we organize our lives and make our choices?
0: That's a great question, and we'll take it up after we take a break. And we're back here on Faith and Reason. Welcome to our program. If you're just joining us, I'm Bill Freeman, pastor of the Journey Church in Holland, along with Fred Wooden, senior minister at Fountain Street Church, and Reverend Andy DeBraber of Douglas Congregational UCC Church. And we are talking with the folks from Reasonable Doubts, Dave Fletcher, Jeremy Bean, and Luke Galen. And we talk with you if you'd call us at 616-656-1680, 616 You can also email us at pastorbillfreeman.com, pastor at gmail um, mm-hmm.
1: and doubtcast at gmail.com That's okay. the the reasonable doubt
5: email.
0: All right. And before the break, uh, Andy, you were talking about qualities that maybe are often associated with religion.
5: Well, and just making us aware of the principles by which we live. When I hear when I hear Fred saying we all have a faith, whether we're followers of a particular faith or or not, we all have a faith by which we live. Choices by which. Uh, choices which we make based on certain principles that we, we believe. And so for me, those are surrounded around the person, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, um, around justice, love, uh, preferential option for the poor. And uh, so I'm curious where that fits into this. I, I find us so often getting caught in our heads in this right. discussion. Where right. does it land in practice?
2: Okay.
1: Who is I, I, that I'm trick? not sure I
2: understand the question. <laughs> no, I, I, I get it. I, oh. Did you guys want to start off with that? or should we, well?
0: <laughs> I mean, it seems to me you can boil the Hebrew scriptures down and the New Testament down to uh, something that's univer- a universal truth that's found in all religions, and that is due to others as you would have them do to you. Boy, love your neighbor I, I don't you know that that's yourself. the
1: central message I know. at all in there. I mean, I if you cut out all the other stuff and just save that one verse, yes, I agree. But you don't need the Bible to do that. That's that's not even a, a, an idea original to, to well, that's, Jesus. That's
0: why people need to come to my church and Fred's church and 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 Andy's church because those are the kind. That's the kind of thing we say that you you know these other things about being pro uh, or anti gay. Uh, you know, we discount those seven passages. And, you know, being pro-war, we discount those right. and, and say, blessed are the peacemakers. But anyway.
5: Well, I guess the question is, what would compel you to stand on the side of injustice if it uh, involved potential suffering?
2: Well, I wouldn't want to stand on the side of injustice, but... i um, sorry. <laughs> no, I know. I know. That was, just a, that was just a mistake. Yes. Thank you for the question. Well, you know, beginning uh, a humanistic ethic, uh, I think you have to begin with where you are, what, what kind of individual you are. That's why, yes, I would em- embrace the golden rule right. um, because I think empathy becomes kind of a foundation for a lot of other values. Although can I point
1: out that the, the major flaw in the golden rule? It's not do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's do unto others as they would have you do unto them. Well, there okay, is. because I'm I'm okay with a lot of things that you may not be okay with.
3: That's the platinum rule. It is. That's the, exactly. the platinum rule. It is.
1: Yeah, and, and I, that that would be the rule that I live by, which is not can, what Jesus you, says. You can
0: you can pervert the golden rule as they did mm. in South Africa. I heard a guy sure. from South Africa a month or two ago say that you know they they said well we would want. To be separated from blacks, and so, and we think blacks would want to be separated right. from us. So that's you know we're following the golden rule. We're following Jesus's yeah. teachings. Yep. Well, actually, right. we
4: follow the other golden rule, which is the one that reads, "Whoever has the gold makes the rules." Right, exactly. Or the Ted yeah. Baxter golden rule. That's,
2: that's you know, another one. That
0: do unto common. others before they do, do it to it. you first.
2: But I, I do think I think empathy serves as a as a major foundation for a lot of ethics. I think it comes out of the recognition that. The same experiences I have wanting to be fulfilled, wanting to be able to follow my potential, wanting to be loved and valued and all these things, that um, others feel these feelings too and there is no reason why my interests in having those things are any superior to anyone else's. So I think you start from a foundation of of empathy and equality of interests.
4: What what Andy asked though was uh, slightly to one side, which is, if someone is hungry and you're fed, are you willing to eat less so someone else can have some of that? Which is to say, are you willing to have less when someone else has even less than you? Are you willing to put yourself in some level of dis- – in other words, you say everybody wants to be fulfilled. Are you willing to be a little less fulfilled so that someone can be a little more okay, fulfilled? I see. I see. That's yeah. the question that I think he was raising up because we all want to be happy. We all want to be content. But if I'm happy and content, do I want to give up any of that for someone else? And that becomes the issue because most of us say, yeah, I, I want everyone to be happy, but I don't want to be, have, be less happy myself. So we all end up
1: Spoken living like in this. like a libertarian. There's, there's evidence, right.
3: although that even that, that – uh, that Which is exists, why I'm That's not. almost hardwired into people, though. To, it makes us feel unpleasant to watch somebody else suffer. We've right. even done experiments with monkeys where where the monkey could either – they can get their food tray by pressing a button, but it would shock the other monkey. Mm-hmm. They can see across the way and they forego food. And now we know so where we
4: have lo- sprawling suburbs and exactly. McMansions. So so we don't
3: have to see what's going on well, it, in the rest of the world. Yeah, well, one, one way that you can dehumanize people is to make it – yes, it's easier to – So, hurt but, that you but, so I'm
4: not disagreeing with you. I'm, what I'm hearing Andy say, and I don't, don't want to interpret him, is that one of the things that, that religion asks is to what extent are you willing to engage – are you willing to put yourself at risk for the sake of others? And there may be some really flawed arguments around that. And I think some of the Christian suffering modality is just demented. Uh, And the Victorian version of that is really quite silly after a while. But his point, and I think it's a legitimate one, is to what extent are we called to put ourselves at risk, meaning our own personal well-being, or are we called to put ourselves at risk? And how will that happen in the absence of a – Of a structure of moral imperatives, and I'm not even going to qualify what they are. Can it be done without that? Would any of us rationally choose to put ourselves at any kind of risk for someone not related to us by
1: blood? Yes. Sure. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I I mean, and and I want to, I want want to, I want you
4: to describe that how that happens because I'm not saying it's not true that's and the what's question the I heard motivation you. Yeah, how, what's the it. rationale behind that? And I mean the larger one, not just your personal one. How do we communicate that to others? So. Because,
3: well, I, uh, this is going to go back to the kind of a golden rule type thing again, but I would imagine myself in their position with right. empathy. And if I was in that position, I would want someone else to help me. And that's usually the,
0: the, the template that I would use. It has
3: nothing spiritual to do with anything.
0: Mother Teresa said that, she when she helped the poor she did so because she saw Jesus in them. Yeah. And it's, but, but it, it seems to help the poor i like, um helping okay. religion. But it seems to me that, that that's not right. I mean you should help the poor because they need help.
1: Right. Yeah.
3: Period. Yeah, there's there's that that type of uh, helping is not true altruistic helping. It's more reward, personal reward right. based. Help. I'm getting God points, or yeah. I'm feeling which like is I'm still help. Flagellating myself in order to so.
4: let's go back to the pragmatism argument. If you can get someone to do the right thing for a lame reason, or as opposed to doing the keep, uh, letting them do the wrong thing for do nothing, for no reason. There's a little part of me that says, oh, OK, let's leverage a little guilt. Who of, who of us has not had a child, if we have children, that mm-hmm. you occasionally didn't, shall we say, shade the anxiety just a little bit to gain a little bit of advantage? And you know, guess what? We all do it. I, you know, how, it's how one many? of my
1: favorite tools with the children.
4: Absolutely. And people do it to us all the time, which is not to excuse it, but.
3: Yeah, it's yeah some, there's been some interesting experiments now with things like generosity in the, in the laboratory. Where, where uh, and I've heard David Myers at his talk mentions these experiments when you flash religious type primes, you know, like unconsciously very quickly to people, they'll give, they'll offer more to other people that are partners in the lab. But one thing that Jeremy and I pointed out uh, during his talk was that you, when you flash civic primes. That is things like non-religious, things mm. like justice, mm. equality, whatever like that. People are honest as well. Yep. And so that we kind of called him out on that during his talk. But that, that the point with that is, is it doesn't have to be uh, a supernatural set of
4: external values. Well, it can we, be we, f- forget, we forget that the word religion doesn't denote supernatural content. The Roman civic religion.
1: Well, certainly in the popular usage, it does. We're, and not, it, po- we're not, not popular. Though. We get into a, a, a linguistic you know, history of the word and, and that's all well and good. But it's not talking about what the way people are using terms like God but and religion. it does describe how
4: they behave. That's the point. Religious behavior is not theologically defined. Religious behavior is you – know, you get the same behaviors. People pray in Hindi, in, in, in Buddhist temples, and they stand in silence at Memorial Day. It's functionally the same behavior. And our, our belief that somehow mine is more religious than yours or that the state isn't – and that we have no state religion. We Of course we have a state religion. We see it every time we do Memorial Day and people walk in front of the Tomb of the Unknown Children. That's religious behavior. We just don't designate it religious because we like to keep some mental lines separate. Now, remember, my job is to muddy lines. That's my position is to – no one lives in a pure environment, pure theological environment. No one enjoys the nicety and the cleanliness of saying I'm religious and the state is not or the church is over here and my life is over there or the atheist is not religious and I am or vice versa. We are all in this big, muddy mess. Together. But
1: are you muddying the line so much that I'm there's say, nothing comprehensible coming out of it because I I mean we and I'm not I think all the we li- have to have labels, I think, we, I have think to all the
4: lines we, we the lines we have drawn to are the lines we have drawn are not at the well, end of the day permanent because they're human drawn.
2: We are certainly good at going off on rabbit trails all of us. <laughs> yeah. And uh and back to your question about, you know, what what motivates that that search for justice or or, or things I, I think it does it does has, have to come out at least for me. The foundation comes out of a basic recognition that the needs that I feel are are the same for other people right. that they right. experience those things too okay. now now if I have if I have more than I need mm-hmm. and somebody else has less right then it does it makes sense to me to contribute. You know, to their happiness and to their well-being. Now, I'll be completely honest with you. I don't always, you know, I'm not constantly going down to food shelters and other things, but I donate a good portion of my money to different charities, mm-hmm. and it's not like I have a ton of money to do it. Mm-hmm. I, I spend time in relationships with other people uh, and and try to be good in those relationships, and try to be um, someone who encourages people and brings out their values rather than just. Uh, you know, discouraging or something like that. So I find a very human base for my motivation for these things.
1: And, not, and I don't want to get labeled a Marxist here, but I believe it was Marx not? who said, "Well, yeah. um, I have no problem." It was with Marx Marxism. who said, "I think uh, no man can be happy until everyone is content." Yep. Yeah. Right. And and I I would agree with that. I think that so, is that's.
4: Well, let me push your boundary just a little bit. You said you're a vegetarian. I I am. Mo- I'm,
1: I'm actually a pescatarian, so I'm a yeah. hypocrite. No, no, but, you're yeah. not a hypocrite. That's a, you, you've I decided. Eat fish. You decided
4: ah. not to participate in a meat eating system at a very low, uh, uh, right. Now, but do you do that? because why, Jesus
0: but, ate fish or no? Yes. 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 Or be, <laughs> now, what that's I've heard exactly. Of, it. Now, I think
4: this is one of the questions that humanism needs to articulate more clearly, which is not the same being critical. I can understand the fellowness of human beings, the fellowness of other creatures needs to be more articulate from a humanism point uh, of I view. I
2: agree, and and there's people like uh, Peter, Singer, Peter Singer, I think, who's done Great more guy. than anything, you know, who I'd is lo- who is an atheist and and really showed. Look, a lot of this history of viewing ourselves as so separate from yeah. animals uh, comes from a Cartesian kind of dualism, mm. yep. comes from a, a Platonic kind of Christianity. Mm. And uh, and so, yes, I, I think so, it's we, about well, time that everybody articulates well, that. I,
4: about an hour ago I was saying to you or to others is that we have to acknowledge our own human exceptionalism, that we think we're at the top of either an evolutionary, moral or biological pyramid. We're just inside a very large system that includes a lot of other creatures and our claim to be – Superior, even because we think may not be a legitimate claim. Well, well, well we Hamlin refers to us
1: as the as the paragon of animals, and I would say we're definitely the ones who, rightly or wrongly, have have taken control. Okay? That's right. We, um, I'm
4: not disputing that, well, for, unless we're but, swimming in the ocean. And well, yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah,
1: but as far as you know, we're the ones we're the things. ones screwing up the planet all all by ourselves. Um, well,
4: you, you could argue that we're not screwing up the planet. It, we're we're changing it, and eventually we're going to throw ourselves out of the nest because at some point. <laughs> That's what I, uh, it, sure. Jo- that's... George Carlin said we should be changing. We should be trying to save the planet, not because it's so pra- it's so frail and we're so strong, It's because we're so frail and it's so strong. Yeah. <laughs> In the end, it will still here. It'll it'll be here, but we won't.
2: Well, isn't God going to make sure that doesn't happen? No, then? no, he's not. No. Then what's the point? He's going to let us go what's to he the doing end. For so us. what you're saying is we're on our own.
7: Well, I'm saying that we were
4: that we're in so the now. universe the way it is, and if we pretend that we're going to be bailed out, whereas we're worse off than all the banks on wall Street. But well, you
2: just described humanism to me I didn't say it wasn't a humanist but that
4: humanism and atheism are not synonyms that's no, true nor
5: is <laughs> that is true that, from
2: that's right no i, I would i would so agree I, think with well, that. I, I
1: don't know that you, I, I hate the term religious humanism because humanism is human centered yeah. and and uh, theistic religion think, is it it I think takes human, that away from. Uh, I think humanism
4: is 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 the is the center from which other, to which other things need to be re- accountable at some level. If your religion does exactly. not and does not affirm, strengthen, and ennoble the human endeavor and give it cause to be better than it is, then your religion doesn't have much value in my world. Now, if it does so with elaborate poetry and supernaturalism, and still does that, I'll, I'll wink an eye. But if it doesn't do that, then I'm not interested in it at all. And if atheism also ends up shrinking and confining and otherwise diminishing the capacity of the human uh, humans to be large and magnanimous, then I think that atheism is not worthy of its name. D- either. Does it? I think I think there are a variety of atheisms. I would
2: absolutely agree. Yes. I think- so
4: that's why I'm not. Spec- I'm not. I'm not lumping all atheisms together any more than i'm lumping all theisms together they are discrete enough I, I, I
1: don't enough. even like atheisms because atheism is not a thing it's a lack of a thing no no that's a I, it's an absolutely
4: articulate ideology and it comes in many forms no, not, can
1: be. It's not an ideology. No, it is. It, it, it's a simple statement. I, you commun, can't call commun, not commun, a Democrat a political not affiliation. Not
4: Atheism, as, as in my opinion, is a is a, a conclusion. Well, your
1: opinion. But now we're getting postmodern. Your no, 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 opinion no, doesn't no, make any. No, hey, no, hey, There's no. a, communism hey guys, is atheistic. a good way to resolve
2: this. There's a good way to resolve this. Explain to me what what's you know some basics of how an atheist would approach truth. Mm-hmm. Well, that, um, that was Just, what just I was, articulate, you know, what would be this comprehensive worldview.
0: What, what no, I, I was mean, going I, to you ask tell us. is, don't we have a common ground as far as, I think we're all seeking truth, at least the people in this room. You know, fundamentalists might have a different well, view. Sure. We're all seeking truth. In some ways, w- we probably view religion philosophically more than theologically in a way. So, right? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, so... For I, me, I suppose we speak for Andy. I suppose we're probably we we probably share more common ground than
1: than, than what the last two hours may have indicated. Mm, right? Yeah, that's but, abs- hey. This yeah. is a show. That's yeah. true.
4: Exactly. It's like wrestling. It always looks like it's violent until they go back to the <laughs> but.
1: But on. getting back to the question, what what is the, the atheist? Ideology.
4: I think there are ideologies
2: that claim to be atheist. Well, that yeah, right? well, I agree. That's true. That's good. That's, okay. that's, that's not all what I was hearing you that's say. That's all we're trying to get at. I yeah. understand. You For could example, not believe in God and be a, materi- you know, you know, a Marxist dialectical absolutely. materialism. Yes. Yes. And, or that's, you could and that's not one believe way of being atheist. Right, right. Yes. And that's all we were trying to establish. That's right. There Buddhism are, on many accounts is atheist. And that's why I sometimes get upset when people try to portray atheism as if it is a positive belief system right. no it's just a, it's an aspect of some other belief system. Absolutely. So, if I wanted to say positively what I am, I would use the word a scientific naturalist, yep. a secular humanist. Mm-hmm. I would use those kinds of terms to describe mm-hmm. positively and one, what and, I believe.
4: And one aspect of that is to, is being non theistic. It yes. is a characteristic, yes. not a not a
2: centerpiece. It's the absence of a belief.
4: Yeah, the absent. Well, yeah. an absence of the necessity of God in your structures in your system.
2: Well, yeah. a, a belief like in not God. Not
1: black yes. is part of the aspect of, yeah. of your cultural background. Yeah. I mean, but it's. It's not it doesn't tell you what you are. It just
2: says what you're not.
4: But not what you're not and what you are, are intimately related. They're not divorceable.
2: Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's yeah. just one <laughs> provides positive information and the other one… Negative information. Always, yes. Are, and, and positive and information of, and negative of information of are both forms be, of information. A lot of mistakes can be made. Uh, a lot of equivocations can we be could, made. We
4: can go in the same direction around theism. Exactly. If we if we say Christians, Jews, Muslims… Absolutely. …and yeah. a variety of Hindus and others are theists would not be to say that they all agree on what that God is. But they all is. have a God belief. That's and right. That's, that they share yeah. that notion as common to them but they would not be… Be in any sense interchangeable. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Well, I would just like to announce that you guys have convinced me and I'm going to resign my position and I would like to apply to be the fourth voice Sweet. on reasonable doubts. <laughs> that oh. was our goal. <laughs> no.
1: Wait, see, we don't, we're not really big on evangelizing, that's kind of not our thing.
2: No, we actually spend about as much time talking about the stuff you usually do on your show. We like talking yeah. about social right. issues yeah, exactly. like gay rights, mm-hmm. uh, sex uh-huh. education is another one. Yeah. Um, we, I don't know if you've ever talked about this, but religion in the military and yeah. some of the issues that well, have come up. And, of course, don't ask, don't
1: tell of course and the Pope, which we, we yeah, all we've love. we've beaten <laughs> the
2: Pope too much. But anyway,
0: we are out of time, uh, and this has been Faith and Reason, and we have been happy to talk with the guys from Reasonable Doubts. I'm Bill Freeman, pastor of the Journey Church in Holland, along with Fred Wooden, senior minister at Fountain Street Church in Grand Rapids, and Reverend Andy DeBraver of Douglas Congregational UCC, and we've been talking with Dave Fletcher, Jeremy Behan, and Luke Galen, uh, the hosts of Reasonable Doubts. And you can listen to them at nine o'clock on Fridays, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or on and our website, ten o'clock on Fridays.
1: Uh, yep. And uh, as a programming note, uh, stay tuned for the Reverend Barry Lynn of the Americans like United for yeah. the um, Separation of Church and State. And his show, Culture Shocks, is up He's next.
0: also a UCC minister. He is. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank you for
1: having Thank you us. Thank you,
4: hey,
0: be good.